Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Social media were a central battleground during the 2022 elections. Apart from their usual campaign ads and statements from partisan pundits, politicians used memes as campaign ammunition. They can't afford me. I'm very New York, so it has to be my way or the highway. I have never turned down an interview. Kung meron kang ipapagawa sa akin, I will move mountains para ma-deliver yan. You can give an example of one anti-BBM and one anti-Sara. Yung kay Sara, natatawa kami doon kasi naglabas lang kami ng video na nanununtok siya ng sheriff. As in, inulit-ulit lang namin na sinusuntok niya na parang, ayun. So nang lumabas yung video ng nagpapasa ng pinwheel si Bongbong kay Sara with the unity. Ito yung windmills, oo. That was around when they launched their campaign. Doon kami gumawa ng video na Sara version na nanununtok naman siya. Na parang, anong unity-unity, inanununtok ka? Yun lang, yun lang yung buong video. Memes, which came in the form of 7-second spliced videos with ironic music, spliced images, and humorous captions, spread like wildfire all over Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Memes are meant to poke fun at politicians' excesses. They revive old faux pas and recontextualize them to suit a new narrative. They can be extremely vicious, they play on stereotypes, they poke fun at people's appearances. The best memes perhaps liken politicians to comic book or science fiction villains like Thanos or Jabba the Hutt. In our research, we met a meme factory operator who formed a team responsible for attack memes. Curiously, he was hired as a private contractor by a politician's ally, but not by the candidate running for office herself. Hello, I'm Jonathan Ong, disinformation researcher and professor at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and Harvard University. And I'm Kat Ventura, Puma Podcast. You're listening to Catch Me If You Can, where we take a deep dive into the world of online trolls and talk to personalities involved in influence operations on social media. So, Jonathan, this is season two. Yes, can you believe it? We're back. Yeah, and the reception was insane. Like, I did not think that many people would be interested in listening to a podcast on disinformation. Well, you've teased me several times that <laughs> the basis of this research, it was a study that came out in 2018 and was four years ago. But for some reason, that research called Architects of Network Disinformation became viral, I think, after Catch Me If You Can, after also the 2022 elections. Yeah, what, what is it about the podcast format? Um, did you expect it to get that kind of reception? 
I think hearing from, you know, the so-called trolls themselves to mm-hmm. explain themselves, to hear their own voice as they justify themselves, also to catch them, you know, in their own contradictions, mm-hmm. in their moral dilemmas, um, and for us to make those judgments as listeners. So I think that to me um, was the was a thrill of doing this experiment with you, Kat. Right, exactly. And it did not end there. From the time that season one came out, we've also been doing Twitter spaces. Jonathan and I have been talking to our listeners. We've been getting questions from you. And people are still coming up to us with their own insights, which I find very interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I got a couple of leads. Uh, I got to meet new influence operators in the 2022 elections. Thanks to Catch Me If You Can. I also got volunteers um, to do research um, with me and my research team. Um, Thanks to Catch Me If You Can. I was also particularly thrilled with folks who volunteered to translate our work to Tagalog. Yes. And I would be the first to say that it's been a missed opportunity, you know, as academics, I'm sure Iko Den Kat, parang, we want to do a lot of outreach, but we're also busy doing our jobs. Exactly. Which is, you know, teaching and, and writing. And so sometimes we forget how it's um, so crucial um, to be engaging with our communities and mm-hmm. to translate our work and make it accessible. So there is definitely an interest in this information and how this whole system works. And one of the values that I find in our podcast is how we dispel these myths and misconceptions instead of inflate the sort of stereotype that we already have of these trolls, of these meme factory creators, and of the people in the industry creating these forms of disinformation. We, on the one hand, push against this kind of doom and gloom narrative, you know, that bots are out to control our social media and to drown out our voices. But at the same time, we we want to paint like a holistic picture of the human behind campaigns. Um, And they sometimes, again, they would rarely call themselves trolls. Yes, they rarely do call themselves trolls. And as I was reflecting on this episode, I thought to myself, of all the people we've been interviewing, Jonathan, this is the first person to actually admit and call himself a troll. Yeah, um, in this episode, right, um, we are going to talk to a meme factory operator. So... He was able to bring together a whole team of young people to produce memes. But curiously, what I find so interesting, and again, going back to the theme of dispelling myths and common assumptions, they were not locked in like, you know, a call center, but they were actually reporting to an intermediary, like an ally of a politician, but they never got to meet the politician themselves. So, this is the story of Mike. It's not his real name. We hid his name to protect him, and we also altered his voice just a little bit for his own safety. Mike has been working in the creative industry for 10 years. He's always been a freelancer, never holding a full-time position. He's usually juggling three part-time jobs. Right, and Mike never really got into politics. In fact, before the 2022 elections, he was not a registered voter. But one night, someone from his circle approached him with a gig that would get him involved in the elections in ways which he never would have imagined. This was around December last year. 
Uh, I'm doing some part-time work, editing some files, editing some videos. And then may nagtanong sa akin para, oh Mike, someone approached me looking for a team na gusto na kung pwede daw bang gumawa ng mga memes against a certain politician. Sabi ko, okay, first question ko dyan, ito bang tao na lumapit sa inyo is associated with any other political party? Sabi niya, hindi. Actually, these are just rich people from Davao na gusto lang sumali sa gulo at maghagis na ng Molotov cocktail or something like that. So, ayaw daw nilang associate. Sabi ko, ah, okay, so technically, klaro tayo na talagang mga awi lang tayo. Mike was commissioned to create attack memes against presidential candidate Ferdinand Marcos Jr. and his running mate Sara Duterte Carpio. But this was not part of the official campaign of the opposition. They knew what they were doing would benefit VP Lenny Robredo and Kiko Pangilinan, but they were not officially part of those campaign teams. We found out they were funded by a middleman. What they were doing would not be reported in any official campaign expenditure or disclosure documents. So parang medyo vigilante style. Hmm, ganun, ganun yung nangyari. Gerila talaga. Na kahit si middleman, yung sinabi din niya na parang, okay, I'm not sure kasi kung nakausap kasi ni middleman yung, yung mga kakampinks. Basta ang, ang sa akin, pagpasok niya is, okay, ayoko yung kwento ng radical love. Kasi parang ang, ang weak. At the same time, They believed in what they were doing. They were supporters of VP Lenny themselves, but they had huge disagreements with the style of the official campaign, which centered on positive campaigning and radical love. I'm interested in sa pag-uusap mo with si middleman na ayaw din yung radical love na pananaw or strategy. So parang, was it really more about ayaw namin si BBM and Sarah and therefore whatever it takes? Or was it more about your disconnect with the uh, kakamping top-down strategy? Yeah, so your motivation mo for participating in what is essentially a pro-Robredo campaign. So the first time na nakausap ko yung team, sasabihin ko sa kanila na agad, okay, no pinks allowed. Hindi pwedeng meron ako makitang kulay pink sa ads, sa magagawin yung memes. Or even the language na gagamitin nyo dun sa mga videos and memes, kailangan hindi matitrace papunta sa campaign Robredo. So, Kat, what did you think of VP Lenny? I know um, there were some criticisms that her campaign was too positive, that she should have been more responsive with regard to certain attacks. There were studies from UP Mass Communication that argued VP Lenny was the biggest target of disinfo campaigns. Parang Michelle Obama style. Mm-mm. Remember, sabi ni Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. So I think that was the strategy of the official campaign team. So not to dignify these very vicious personal attacks, which is not based on hard truth or, yeah, on any evidence. Well, the thing is, Jonathan, she's not the only candidate to do that. When we talked to campaign strategists during the elections, all the candidates were going for positive campaigning. Even Marcos himself. Although we do see disinformation online, none of it could be directly traced to him, not even the Len Len series, which his sister was running, see si I mean Marcos. So I feel like that was the strategy of all the candidates, not just Lenny. But it's also, as we've been talking about, like it, it's never just a positive campaign. There are also negative campaign teams, although not directly reporting to the candidate. But there was a lot of that online. 
But what I found interesting, Jonathan, is the composition of Mike's team. Again, Mike was essentially the creative director of this project. And the person who hired him left it up to Mike to choose the people that will make the memes. That's right. We can tell from Mike's choice of teammates, the sort of strategy he was employing in this project. He wanted to hit all the generations and use um, diverse groups who are fluent in their different vernaculars, their own inside jokes, kumbaga. So it definitely skewed younger and also skewed Becky, right? Mm, it definitely did. Let's listen to Mike. Actually, so, ang start talaga nun sa mga memes mag- ganyan, paano gumawa. Una, yung ginawa kong team nun, so apat sila, I had to make sure na hindi sila puro straight lahat. May certain language ang straights, may certain language ang gays. So sabi ko, okay, okay. So ako, talagang ako pa nag-isip, so, sino sa mga kilala ko na, okay, ikaw, ikaw, ikaw bakla ka, sasali kita dito kasi yung matalas yung dila mo. Ikaw na straight ka, okay, kukunin kita kasi iba'y atake mo naman. And then I had to make sure na meron akong Gen Z na friend na parang okay, kailangan ko yung language ng Gen Z nandiyan. And then meron akong Gen X na tao. Tapos, iraran yon kung sino yung respond yung mga tao. And then eventually, after two months, na yung isang straight kasi siya yung pinakamababa na engagement. So parang ako, tumatawa din ako na okay, so gets ko naman na yung straight guy yung pinakamababang engagement. Kasi kanya, pag nakita mo yung ginagawa niyang memes and videos, pati ako parang ayaw masyado tong straight. Walang atake, parang ganun. Kasi iba pag coming from the Twitter uh, Twitterverse, may ingay yung mga tao sa Twitter, pero puro mga bakla. So doon ako kumakak, okay, yung language na to nangaaway, the maldita ones, yun yung pinakamataas ang engagement. So ganun doon nag-start lahat yung, yung ganyan na Are they college graduates? Ah, oo. Oh, oh. Hindi ito pwedeng walang napag-aralan. Kasi in the end, mabilisan yung gawa ng material na dapat mabilis mag-isip. Diba the use of words? Hindi pwedeng gagawa ng copy na basta hindi nakapagtapos ng college. Lalo na kung hindi nga marun, kung hindi comms person itong mga to. So, one from multimedia, one from computer science, one from com, ganyan mangyayari. Tapos, yun nga, medyo involved sa mga, involved sa paligid. So, medyo socially active. Alam yung mga nanonood, nanonood ng TV, nanonood ng news. I would think, contrary do sa belief na hindi ito yung mga tambay lang sa kanto. So, ang kami, tumatawa kami do sa term na, okay, we're basically trolls. Tumatawa kami doon. Hindi naman kami na nainis. So these are Mike and his trolls. Yeah. Um, so these are his trolls. Um, they're educated. Again, emphasizing college education, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Curiously, we haven't really interviewed anyone na walang college degree so far. Mike tells us he and his team received ten thousand pesos every fifteenth and thirtieth day of the month. So that would be equivalent to four hundred dollars each month. In return, they had to come up with twenty memes each. And they did this for five whole months. Mike and his team started creating attack memes in January, a month before the official start of the campaign period. And if we were to sum it all up, the financier basically paid this one team 500,000 pesos for the campaign season. That's 10,000 US dollars. 
usapan namin na every 15 and 20 nagbago yung setup. Naging dapat end of the day meron kang dalawang binibigay kasi nga mabilis na nangyayari yung current events. Kailangan meron lumalabas din agad na some attack meme by end, end of the day. Kasi kung every 15 siya, ang tagal may ipon. Panis na yung kwento. So Jonathan, before we go on to talking about the memes that they produce, I think we should explain what memes are. Yeah, so current discussions of memes are often focused on their function in political communication, in information warfare, especially during elections, also related to disinformation. However, early definitions of meme actually focus on its aspect as a creative expression and as a unit of cultural transmission. So in discussions in evolutionary biology, memes were likened to iconic trends in art or fashion that are representative of particular eras. In sociology and media studies, many early studies of internet memes celebrated these humorous visual forms as expressive of participatory internet culture, of fan enthusiasm, or even activist practices. One of my mentors is an anthropologist, Daniel Miller, and he made a powerful point that memes are actually visual expressions of values. So he was saying, instead of a Facebook user writing a 300-word post, for example, to complain about their job, to whine about their boss, it's actually easier to use a meme to visualize their mood or the universal experience of what people feel on a Monday morning, right? So that could be summed up with a cat face or a celebrity image. Okay, so um, Mike shared with us a folder of some of his favorite memes, the memes that he was <laughs> most proud of, right? Like our request um, from Mike was, send us the most viral memes that your team produced. So Kat, did any of these memes come up for you? Did you recognize any of these memes? Well, yeah. I don't know why I was so surprised with what I saw inside the folder. These were the memes that actually came out on some of my social media accounts, specifically on Twitter. I remember seeing these memes and I remember some of them being shared to me even in private group chats. But looking through the memes that they actually created, I honestly wouldn't call them that offensive. There was definitely an attack on the candidate. There was definitely an attack on their character at some point. But the interesting thing about Mike is they were only rehashing old videos. They weren't adding to the messages. They weren't creating fake news. They weren't creating false claims. They were just using their words against the candidates, which I found very interesting. Looking at the folder, he sent us 13 video memes. I find that curious that it's more video formats. So MP4 formats, presumably we would see these on TikTok primarily, right? Um, But then TikTok content has a way of moving to other platforms. Right. And there was this one meme actually that I did see a lot on TikTok. Spaghetti, pababa na pababa na pababa. Dealing with the public is a chore. 
I did see that. Uh, that did go viral. Maybe in other forms as well. Uh, that was during the campaign rally of Bongbong uh, Bong Marcos where some of the supporters would try to reach out to him, try to pull his hand. I do recall that he did get an injury as a result of those caravans. Yeah, this just came out of it. So for me, what I noticed from my own timeline, two of the memes here um, in the folder are about Lisa Marcos, um, right now the first lady. And so this was like the infamous interview um, with Boy Abunda, where she utters the line, I'm so New York. And so that got re-spliced in many different uh, ways. The most vicious one, right, like liken her to Jabba the Hutt. So at least dito sa folder na ito, it only shows counter evidence um, and links to articles uh, with verifiles um, and also other reputable news outlets. Let's say that the New York State Bar Association denies that she is one of their members. Yeah, but they would use old videos, sometimes from the past campaign of the candidates, but we also have videos from news reports that came out involving the candidates. And one of them was this video of Sarah Duterte punching a sheriff. I wonder if you saw that one, Jonathan. Yeah, I definitely remember this. Um, the technique um, that you're talking about, Kat, is called recontextualized media. Right, so recontextualized media is um, you take an image or an audio clip or a video clip, you take it out of its original context and reframe it for an entirely different purpose or narrative frame. So that's the official Harvard definition of recontextualized media. I'd like to emphasize here, Katna, hindi ito fake news, but they are serving a specific narrative, which is to point out contradictions in their behavior, that they are actually being inauthentic. And so the Sarah Duterte meme here um, first opens with like her looking very sweet and kagalang-galang in her official campaign video. Remember that windmills video? So that's the official meme. And then it cuts to her na may sinusuntok on the streets of Davao. Ate, maling kanta. Ito dapat sa iyo oh. So recontextualized media is it disinformation? So it doesn't necessarily have to be false. Yung intention niya is not to mislead um at least in this specific context, but they are advancing a new narrative frame, right? So here is actually to point out the contradictions between their speech, their public performance, and their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is through the on the format of recontextualizing some of the older videos and connecting them to some counter evidence that refutes some of those public performances. Right. And this is why you also describe these memes as video rebuttals, right? That they are refuting these claims, not necessarily adding to disinformation or creating new content, Mm -hmm. but just recontextualizing as you were explaining. Yeah. So obviously my attack purpose, but then, right? Like, so definitely uh, the use of uh, music, the use of repetition, inuulit ulit, I'm so New York. So Mm -hmm. my attack quality talaga siya, right? So, meron mga videos doon 
na lumabas, tas ikakat na lang namin. Parang, oh, sige, tanggalin mo yung magandang part, tas iwan mo yung, parang ilulup na lang yung mukha ni Bongbong na sinasabi na alamano, 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 alamano. Or, meron yung mga dating campaign video si Bongbong na magsiyasat, magmasid, uh, makipagdebate. So, kinuha namin yung clip na yon then inulit-ulit namin na magdebate, magdebate, magdebate. Tapos yung video na wala naman siya sa, sa, sa podium. So, yun yung part doon. So, kumukuha kami ng material nila kami magka-twist. Ganun mangyayari. The highest engagement his team got for a single meme was 300,000 views. And while it seems impressive, this was nothing compared to the engagement the Marcos camp was getting. And looking back, pera-pera talaga yung laban because kami proud kami dun sa isang meme na 300,000 engagement. Parang wow, 300,000. But when we check the bong-bong ones, 1.1 million. Parang kami, wala. Walang-wala tayo dyan. 300,000 masaya tayo. Paano pa yung 1.1 nila na basic umaabot ng 2 million views? So, it's so interesting na you're purely content creators, but the dissemination and broadcasting, yung media placements, kumbaga, hindi kayo. Si Middleman yung gumagawa nun. Ang kwento ni Middleman sa akin, actually, dalawa kaming team. Yun, bale, sabi sa akin ni Middleman... Dalawa daw kaming team. Pero yung kabilang team ang kumakausap dun sa mga influencers. So parang after namin gumawa ng content, ibibigay namin sa kanya. Then sila mag-uusap, kanina ibibigay after. Once ko lang siya nakausap about those pages na ang sabi niya is, nakalimutan yung competition, something about 50,000 pesos a page with a certain number of followers. Bibili nila, then ilalagay na dun yung content. Tapos after one week, take down yung page kasi i-report ng mga BBM. So parang yung labanan is, you buy a page, then you, you spread there, then it'll report, but it take down. So ganun mangyari. So nahihirapan yung kabilang team kasi nauubos yung mga pages. Kami naman, churn lang kami ng churn ng content. O kali, kalokohan tayo ng kalokohan. Bahala tayo ganyan. Ganun siya mangyayari. In our upcoming study cat, um, of the 2022 elections, we're talking about the trend of brigading, mm. right? So the trend of mass reporting that where digital groups or digital mobs gamify, you know, this trend of reporting pages, reporting troll accounts um, through mass reporting, right? So different camps are doing the mass reporting and gamifying the system. And k- kaya nagkaroon ng mass report hours um, and the DDS and the Marcos camp, they have their own mass report guidelines for their fans and then my mass report hour na rin yung kakampinks. So the official term that meta platforms use is brigading. So they use brigading as a term to describe how adversarial networks coming together to mass comment or mass report other users in the aim of silencing them online. Kung maraming mga ma-report, there's a possibility na ma-block yung account. And how this affects Mike's team, at least from what he described, is that they would keep buying these pages. And every time they bought a page for, well, he estimates 50,000 pesos per page, it would be mass reported by the other camp. And they would have to take it down. And th- this would become a thing. They would always buy these pages. They would always look for new pages. They would purchase it for a huge amount only for it to be taken down. Yeah, so on one hand, there's brigading. You're trying to take down artificially through network behaviors, other people's accounts. But you're also talking about a secondary feature of like a buy and sell 
shadow economy of pages, right? Like where you convert, you know, a fan group, um, a K-pop fan group, and then it becomes like a political um, page during the campaign season. Guard! Guard! May magnanakaw ng credit. Basta tayo'y magnanakaw. Laging magpuumapaw ang bulsa. We can't afford. I'm very New York, so it has to be my way or the highway, right? Halik mo, Gago. After five months of creating attack memes, the moment of truth finally came on May 9th, 2022, Election Day. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. got the majority of the votes. Ako, si Ferdinand Romualdez Marcos Jr. Ay mataimtim na nanunumpa. Ay taimtim na nanunumpa. Bilang Pangulo ng Pilipinas. Bilang Pangulo ng Pilipinas. Tinggap na namin mananalo si Bongbong uh, a week before election. So parang kami... Uh, basta mag-prepare lang, parang ang salasabi ko sa kanila, individually, okay, prepare na tayo ha, mukhang mananalo mo talaga isa. Parang we did our best. As long as enjoy natin tong kalokohang ginawa natin at hindi tayo affected doon sa nangyari, eh wala, talagang talo eh, anong gagawin natin? Parang we can't cry over spilt milk. Parang mag-iiyak tayo, eh di in the end, wala, umiyak pa rin tayo. So, ang debriefing ni middleman sa akin is, it's time to delete the files. I asked Mike if he had any regrets if he would have done anything differently. And this is what he said. Come to think of it, nung unang usapan namin dito, sa team ko ata sinabi yun na, dapat ba natin ginagawa to because we're giving bong-bong airtime. Parang ang nangyayari, parang bad publicity is still publicity. So, every time we attack bong-bong, may airtime pa din siya. Tapos, knowing the Filipinos, ang hilig-hilig nila sa underdog, yung mga kinakawawa, lalong kinakampihan mas kakampi sila doon. So kami, parang, okay, so, do we attack or not? Kasi parang, yun nga, we're giving unnecessary, unnecessary airtime. Pero sabi ng isang team member, sabi niya, eh, wala. Ano? Parang in the end, pag hindi tayo umatak, parang tatawid tayo sa radical love na, eh, hindi, we don't do that kasi we love them. Saka, oh, nga, sige. Balik tayo sa original plan na, okay, we attack. Bahala na ako nung mangyayari. So Kat, what I find interesting here is that Mike is saying he, he didn't agree with the official campaign. He felt that the official campaign was too positive. He thought radical love was so hokey and empty. Didn't stand for anything. So he wanted to attack. And they were doing attack memes. But even in their attack memes, there were lines he would not cross. Yeah, exactly. There were lines that he would not cross, which I found interesting because not all trolls think that way. I mean, I did see a lot of this content on social media and I did see how the other camp would even involve the children of Lenny Robredo during the attacks. VP Lenny's daughters were definitely huge targets of the Marcos camp for their attack memes. Um, I also wanted to emphasize that Sandra Marcos was also a target of many attack memes, some of which were homophobic and transphobic, including making fun of his physical appearance na he supposedly resembles Jake Cyrus or Charisse, right? So so that to me is homophobic and transphobic. So Mike's team was not going to do that, even with the memes that he produced attacking Lisa Marcos, he also was very clear that he was not going to go fat-shaming. Let's listen to what Mike had to say about this. 
So, meron kaming weird thing with, okay, wag tayong ganito ha, dapat ang atake natin ganito lang. Kasi tulad nung sa anak, okay, we don't attack the children, pero we, we attack the ganyan. But the thing about their ethics, it wasn't just Mike. It's something that he did discuss with his team. Maybe not as explicitly, but they wanted to sort of retain some of the Filipino values, respecting the family, respecting the children, and also not to create a victim of Marcos. Hindi naman na-discuss na yung ginagamit yun. So magbibigyan lang sila ng content sa akin. So okay, wag to medyo kawawa naman. Actually, nung pinaka naging strict lang kami dun sa anak, na parang okay, that's that, do that, kasi nga inatake na si Aika. Sabi nila, eh di atakihin mo na yung anak ng kabila kasi inatake nila yung anak ni Lenny. Sabi ko, wag na. That's something super crucial for progressive movements um, to think about, that the kinds of stories that we're trying to tell and narratives we're trying to share, that they shouldn't contradict the values of our movement. So, for example, like very elitist kind of narratives, um, in a way, you're playing into the enemies, your opponent's hands. Like if you perpetuate the same stereotype that you're being elitist yourself, They were keen and very careful not to paint Marcos as a victim, which, yeah, in my own analysis and my own writings, Kat, um, I did say that usap-usapan palagi natin yung historical revisionism and historical distortions. And yes, I agree that that should be a key point to emphasize in terms of what Marcos um, and their campaign did um, for the election. But yung story, yung deep story na victims yung Marcos family is also so crucial um, to that narrative. Like that's an underlying story of the historical revisionism that, that they, they are misunderstood victims, that they were not allowed to share their position, their side of the story. Mm-mm. So that to me is the compelling victimhood narrative that they have tried to paint and that Mike's team was trying to skirt around through their attack memes. So Jonathan, Mm -hmm. you've been doing this study since 2018. Is this how you imagined a meme factory content creator to be? Did you think it would be someone like Mike? To me, Mike's story is super curious because um, as a meme factory content manager, He was reporting to a middleman. He was reporting to an intermediary, never reporting to the politician directly. And then the kinds of memes that he was responsible for, they were attack memes, but not the most vicious kind of attack memes. So I find it curious that the main genre of their memes were rebuttal videos or rebuttal images. So they were just pointing out character contradictions of the personalities that they're trying to attack. Producers na na-meet ko before for Architects of Network Disinfo, sila yung pinaka-vicious talaga. So that was um, for the 2016 campaign, di ba? So talagang troll kong troll, kumbaga. Yeah, how vicious? What, what do you mean? Yun talaga yung uh, very misogynist yung messaging, yun talaga uses foul language. So in this particular case, Um, this team was very careful not to sound like bullies because the candidates that they're trying to attack had tried to present themselves as victims. Actually, what did surprise me here is just the role, the power and the impact of Becky Speak. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in our next episodes. It was funny how Mike was saying that after one month, they're straight because <laughs> they're not effective 
which I'm starting to see a pattern really when you do create these teams and when you're setting yourself up to attack a certain candidate, you do have to know the language. Yeah, um, I think Becky culture is internet culture in the Philippines. Yeah, they can get away with um, certain kind of humor and jokes. And alam nila yung kilite ng masa, how to sound funny without sounding like bullies, right? As a Becky myself, it comes from experiences of Beckys having been targets of those attacks ourselves over the years. So I think that ability to strategically calibrate your tone, your language, kailan ka aatake, kailan ka din hold back, I think that's really a talent that Beckys have. And I think season two is going to be very Becky. It is. <laughs> and this is just the first episode. So if you like this episode, do stay tuned for the next ones. We are going to be talking to a lot more people also exploring the parody accounts that Jonathan did mention in season one, which is definitely going to be exciting. Again, I'm Kat Ventura, Wa Podcast. And I'm Jonathan Ong. This episode was edited by Carl Sayat. The series was funded by Internews and powered by Puma Podcast. Follow Catch Me If You Can on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have suggestions or comments for the show, we'd love to hear them. Maybe you also want to be a guest on the show and become a whistleblower yourself. Follow me on Twitter at Jonathan underscore C underscore Ong. Maraming salamat po. Thank you.